if we're going to make an assessment on whether or not I personally should celebrate Halloween, there have to be other principles involved. And even when it comes to determining Christian liberty, the idea of only using Christian liberty to say, because I have liberty to do this, I'm going to, or I have liberty not to, like if that is your sole basis for deciding to do something or not to do something, I believe that is a very uh, tenuous position. Because I'd be worried about your soul. Why you still be down and you got a soul? Like you need to see to believe these things, but you believe things that you've never seen. Like feelings and hopes and dreams, the future emotions and gravity. And sadly, everything you're rejecting makes this whole life a tragedy. And I got something to say, I got something to say, I got something to say to the world. And I got place to make, I got steps to take, I got cakes to bake, I got shoes to tie, I got mountains to climb. I got things that I really strive to do just before I die, huh? Tell the whole world all about Jesus Christ. So I'ma do all that I'm called to do. I'ma call on you so you could recall it to memory when you remember me speaking about the remedy of the living king. He's the one giving you everything, every good thing that you got, everything that you not, when you think that you have. He's the one at the top that can make it all stop. He started it all from the very beginning. The very all right. Beginning. Welcome to the Milk and Mead podcast. My name is Andrew Krimkovich, and I have my brother and friend, guesting with me today on this topic. Why don't you introduce yourself, Nate? All right. My name is Nathan Gifford. I uh, work at a church here in uh, Yuma, Arizona, and I run the kids' ministries and take care of a little couple other things as well, wear a couple different hats with taking care of the website, media stuff, all the fun little bits and bobs to just kind of cover whatever needs to be, whatever needs to happen to uh, help things get done and enjoy doing it, love doing it, and great privilege to be here, and I love being able to talk with you, Andrew. Thank you so much for having me here. It's a pleasure, brother. Uh, what we have coming up in the world is this little-known holiday called Halloween. Wait, what's that? I don't think I've heard I, of I that before. It's, that it's new. Uh, I don't know <laughs> if it was on the previous calendar, but there's there's a lot of disagreement, maybe even infightings within the body of believers all across the globe concerning this holiday. But ever since I've come to studying doctrine, I've come to studying thorough uh, biblical and God-centered doctrine, I've understood that there's a lot of freedoms that Christians do have within their liberty that don't violate Scripture explicitly and although it might be contentious within some circles or maybe within some cultures, it isn't an all-out no or, or an actual sin to participate or to practice some things. It might not always be beneficial for some people. It might actually be a stumbling block for others. But it is a conscience issue, and we do have the freedom to practice the conscience that is enlightened or even restrained by the Holy Spirit. And we see that all throughout Scripture, that there is such thing as a, a will to choose something as long as it doesn't violate Scripture and as long as it doesn't go against your Holy Spirit-led convictions. And that is where holidays fall in play. So I used to be on the line of, no, never, you can't celebrate some of these things, to, if you should, there might be some healthy guidelines to consider but you have the freedom, and it's not unchristian, it's not sinful, it's not blasphemous to necessarily partake. But I really wanted for you to kind of just pour out your perspective and pour out the historical perspective. 
Because, I mean, I like your opinions, but we're not really <laughs> here to share our opinions more than we are to share clearly the Word of God and, and a firm stance on Scripture. And what, what does the Bible really say? So I guess I'll just start with the question. What is Halloween? Well, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and so uh, this is always a fun time of year. It is always one of those times where you're exactly correct with the idea on very divided opinions within Christian circles to where every time, every October, there's all, it's every time on Facebook, on Twitter, there's every, there's all the posts, some saying for, some saying against, and you always have the comments warring against each other. It's every year. Christians damning Christians. Uh, Going both ways, unfortunately. But absolutely. And, you know, you bring up a good point with the idea of Christian liberty and all that to be true, but it does also, it does kind of put a little bit of the cart before the horse a little bit in, like you asked her about what is Halloween to her to understand whether or not this does fall under the purview of Christian liberty. It is important to understand what it is in and of itself, because particularly yeah. for those who take the stance against celebrating Halloween and observing it, oftentimes that argument and uh, that stance is often built around what Halloween is and where it comes from. And so if you want to find the origins of Halloween, you got to go back uh, a couple thousand years here to the ancient Celts. Uh, they had a celebration known as Sowen. If you were to look at it, it would look like Samhain in its spelling. Yeah, the pronunciation uh, always didn't make sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't speak Gaelic, so I apologize. If someone out there is a Celtic scholar and knows how to pronounce Gaelic better, you can please feel free to pro- yeah. correct my pronunciation. But as I understand it, it's pronou- pronounced Sowen. And it was a celebration of the end of a transitional period where in their culture and their religion, uh, there was that times between times, the transitional periods, they were sacred times and places. And that transition from the harvest time coming into the winter was a time that they believed that the barrier between our world and the other world was weaker and the spirits of the dead could go back and forth. And so for them, it was a time sort of fraught with danger for a little bit. They would gather together around big bonfires, uh, dressing in animal costumes, telling stories and that kind of thing, trying to keep each other safe, so to speak. And then the 31st, so in that celebration, was the celebration of the end of that time when the spirits of the dead would once again return to the earth. So it's a basic belief that the membrane between this material world and the spiritual world was able to be permeated exactly by the spirits coming across and doing some stuff in this here world. So. Exactly, it's kind of like when you think of when you think of say a color scale, right? When you have red and you have blue, and then you have in the middle there's that shifty area where you get purple coming yeah. in to where the idea was that during that transitional period for the Celtic mindset, that tra- any kind of transition that was neither here nor there, it's not the beach and it's uh, it's not the ocean, it's not the land, the beach. It's a sacred area because it's neither here nor there. It's somewhere in between. It's the wet sand. Right. It's that, it's that idea of it creates a weak spot in that yeah. barrier between the material and the other world. And so... Uh, that was a celebration among the Celts for a long time. And then you had the Romans came in, they conquered Britain, 
And they brought their religious festivals with them as well. They had a similar festival for the dead at the beginning of October, at, at the beginning of the October time frame, and they also had a festival for Pomona, their goddess of the harvest and fertility, that would be celebrated at the beginning of November. And those two har- those two celebrations would kind of got bundled in with the Celts, with the Britons as well. And so with Pomona, you have the symbol of the apple that comes in with that, with the harvest. That was her kind of sacred symbol, one of them at least. And so that idea of the apples and harvest uh, kind of got tied in with sowing and that festival for the dead and of harvest as well kind of got bundled together with the Romans being brought in. And then when you get to around 1000 AD, the Catholic Church has become firmly ensconced within the Roman, uh, within Rome. And the Pope at that time, it was Pope Leo, and I want to say it was Pope Leo VI that announced the, that the Pantheon of Rome was dedicated to Christ and to God and declared October 30, excuse me, November 1st as All Saints Day as a day to commemorate and to recognize all the saints Mm -hmm. uh, of the church. And it wasn't too long after that that they bundled in with that, the martyrs as well. They were like, hey, if we're going to include the saints, we should include the martyrs as well. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of got bundled together with All Saints Day, All Martyrs Day, and in the... And, and when it as it made its way to England, that idea of the martyrs and the saints and the dead got bundled together into all hallows. The idea of all those people that are hallowed, that are sacred, that are set apart, that idea of all hallows. Um, and, and in the old English, it was translated, it was sounded like all hallows mass and ha- translated further into all hallows eve. And the jump from there is not too far to understand all hallow Halloween. Yeah. And so that's where you have the source of it and as far as the time frame and the basic structure of the holiday of where it comes from to where you have this uh, amalgamation of Celtic paganism, Roman paganism, and Catholic tradition kind of becoming amalgamated in this festival of honoring the dead, of harvest, of celebrating that transition from the harvest going into winter to give hope for that time, the dark times to come, so to speak. And so, and you start, and then, and then we start as that, as that celebration kind of begins to take fruit, uh, we also begin to see uh, a lot of the practices that we see, we, we are commonly associate with Halloween beginning to crop up, particularly mm-hmm. with the Catholic church part of it, where uh, as the Catholic and as the civilization developed, and as British society became more ensconced with the idea of the feudal system and so on, the idea of trick-or-treating was primarily that the poor people would go about seeking uh, gifts from the richer individual, from, from, from the landed nobility, from those who had wealth, and ba- they, would, they would receive cakes called soul, la- soul loaves. And basically they would go and they would make a promise to where they're going to pray for the souls of the dead in exchange for these gifts. Okay. And again, time goes on, the tradition kind of shifts and changes and kids kind of take on that role towards not so much the adults going around, but the kids are going around and doing that. And then you factor in, I, as 
Ireland becomes part of British society to some degree. You see, particularly in Ireland, the practice of I think it was called guising, where they get, where the kids would start dressing up in those costumes and they would go around to either perform a trick or get a treat to where they would perform some kind of juggling or some kind of some some they would do some little play or something like that to where they would go around and entertain their neighbors mm-hmm. in hopes of again getting a treat to get something special because that was how th- a lot of them were able to celebrate and how to have the holiday was because they didn't have enough means of themselves to have it. So they would go to those who had the means and to do something to get the means. So to basic panhandling. Basically. Yeah. yeah kind of like that. Kind of like, it was kind of like, it's kind of like, okay, you're allowed to come out and do it. It's kind of yeah. a fun way of doing it. And so it's an acceptable cultural form of panhandling. A little bit. Yeah. That makes sense. And then. But impoverished. Absolutely. And then you come to America. And, of course, with America, we take our own spin on things. Yes, we do. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, and so when you, when you, as the American colonies were established, of course, with the Puritans in New England, Halloween was strictly off limits. It was, you don't touch that because, again, one of the longstanding traditions with Halloween all the way through all these transitions so far was the practice of some degree of fortune telling. Mm-hmm. Even though the church never really did that, the Catholic church never really sanctioned or practiced that fortune telling they kind of overlooked it as they usually do whenever they synthesized and came together with a pagan tradition to make something kind of new uh they would often overlook and kind of like okay you can do your thing and we'll do our thing and we'll kind of sanctify what you're doing by what we're doing and so that tradition of fortune telling and uh has always been a part of halloween all the way through and so the Puritans, they wanted nothing to do with it. They're like, hey, keep that stuff as far away from us as we can. But in the southern colonies with the Anglicans and so on, you, you, you did not have that same prohibition. They just kind of were like, hey, you know, whatever it is, it, it just is what it is. And uh, so Halloween, it's, it still has a lot of the same. Most of the practices kind of stayed the same for the most part. But one of the things that did get added in in typical American fashion is vandalism. Oh, yeah. And destruction <laughs> and mischief to Typical where indeed. to where in English society, the idea of vandalism and mischief wasn't even so much of a thing. Uh, but in a typical American fashion, we're like, hey, we got to break something. We got to blow something up here. And so uh, <laughs> that's so American of us. <laughs> yeah. No, we're, it doesn't no, no, no. break. It's not fun. Exactly. <laughs> it's like unless something's on fire, it's really it's not American. So that's the fireworks. But uh, and so uh, especially because I grew up in the Northeast back in Pennsylvania. And we still, to this day, celebrate Mischief Night. Yeah, we're I grew on up in the... New Jersey, and it, it's oh, bad. oh, okay, then you definitely saw. Oh man, yeah, yeah it's I mean, really you have, bad. Because I grew up right across from Manhattan. I grew oh. up in Fort Lee, New Jersey. So we had two things happening. We had people coming from New York crossing the George Washington Bridge, which is not a long cross, and just performing all their vandalism, and then crossing back over, and you can't get them. It's a whole different city. Oh yeah, you have New Jersey that, yeah. crossing over to, to the New York City side and just being crazy and then coming back and then doing what they do in their own oh yeah besides the areas yeah. i mean mischief night was more important than halloween for us because i mean we could buy candy but we'd love to in groups destroy someone's house and it would get bad sometimes you'd actually see people throwing things through windows you'd see toilet paper wouldn't just be toilet it would just be a mess. Oh, his, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Historically, property. I remember reading it. There's like, there's like a school that got burned down one year yeah. on Mischief Night. It's, it, we it, saw it's, we saw real fireworks being set off 
making little fires. Like we were reckless. So oh, yeah. at the, I, I'm sure it's still ongoing. Like, oh yeah. By the grace of God, the last <laughs> 10 years of my life have not been. Yeah. I, I, I never participated in that. My mom would not let me out to go and. <laughs> she uh, wouldn't let you get no, mischief night? <laughs> no, she would not allow me to do make mischief. You know, but, it's uh, weird. My parents, uh, they didn't have a good grasp on me because I was this rebellious, overpowering teen and they were they were too soft with me. I wish they would have whooped me. They would have straightened me out, but they didn't. And I would dress up like a criminal going out for mischief night, and my parents would just like bat an eye at it, saying, "Oh, he's going to go have fun with his friends." I don't think they understood what the fun actual meant. things that I was going to do. I was literally going to harm go. people's property, steal bikes, and stuff like that, spray paint stuff like silly string and toilet paper. Just destroyed so many properties, and it's just it's odd. Like you see. Every teenager going out in huge groups dressed in black, like about to perform criminal activity, and no <laughs> one, no like, one oh, notices. Oh, it's okay. Oh, they're gonna have fun. <laughs> it's like, are you serious? This is, this is not good. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and so Americans, of course, they, we we put our own spin on it with the addition of kind of like the mischief uh, side of it. Yeah. Uh, but again. The idea, but again, you still had that idea of fortune telling to where there was still that superstitious element to where girls and women thought they could foretell the first name, the first letter of the guy uh-huh. that would eventually marry them by looking at apple pairings or you know whatever nonsense they could in the mirrors, whatever, all kinds of fun superstitious nonsense. I mean, uh, even during mischief night, you have those ideas like if we would be going on mission i remember if we would see a black thank god that i've been freed from these ignorant beliefs but when we would be going down the street ready to like look for houses to attack if there was a black cat that walked across the street we would turn around and go the other way like we we would like flat out say we're gonna get caught if we go down this street because that cat just passed so there was a view of fortune kind of the superstitious yeah, part of it exactly and, and so uh, but even when it comes, but when it comes to the idea of Halloween being about ghouls and ghosts and stuff like that, um, a lot of that did actually kind of come out of American culture with the idea of ghost stories. And we see that in early American history that around Halloween, that would be a common thing. The idea of telling ghost stories and that kind of uh, practice taking place. But yeah, so so in early American culture, you find that practice of telling ghost stories of uh, of that kind of fascination with the supernatural and all of that around Halloween. But even as early as the late 1800s, you see a specific and intentional uh, shift in the celebration of Halloween to make it more kid-friendly, to where there is a specific encouragement of removing a lot of the macabre and more ghoulish decorations, to where there's a specific shift in that practice as a society among Americans to say, hey, we don't want this so much to be all about spooky, scary skeletons and everything else, but this is just something that we want to be a have a, have a fun uh, opportunity to kind of ease up on the ghoulish freaky stuff and to just make it more i guess family friendly so to speak but we i mean as far as i can remember we've i've always i always remember seeing the overly lustful the sexualized aspect to halloween and the the goriness of it i also remember seeing all the very childish very family friendly costumes as well are you saying that the family friendly aspect came in at one point 
But before that, it was all either overly sexualized or overly demonic. Is that what you're saying? I, I wouldn't say overly sexualized. Like is Halloween, that, new? That, that that is a new that is a new aspect to Halloween. I, okay. I would say, from what I have read, unless I am missing on something, the sexual a- aspect of it is definitely more recent introduction to that part okay. of culture. So when when did this family friendly kind of mentality come in? Because I it remember came, it, it ever it came since. in in the in the, in the late eighteen hundreds to oh, where that's that's yeah, when yeah, to where the in. late eighteen okay. hundreds. That's when they were drawing back to say, hey. We want to kind of draw this back a little bit because this is more for the kids. You see that shift trying to start to take place. And so by the early 1900s, you see that shift really taking place. You do see there's a period, especially during the Great Depression, where, again, the mischief and vandalism part spikes because you had everybody was poor to where that was just poverty and hardship. And the kids and many young people were taking that opportunity to vent and to... Just like 2020 in America. Absolutely, Got yeah, it. and and so that, that that so you certainly saw that happen. But even within the 40s and 50s, especially with the baby boom, um, to where like you used to, it used to be that Halloween parties would be like at the local community center, at the local civic center, you know, something like that. Okay. But with the baby boom, and all of a sudden you have so many kids. Um, that was no longer practical. And that's where you saw the shift beginning to happen of shifting from a localized, centralized Halloween party to shifting out to local schools, to homes, and okay. eventually even to this the community idea of just trick-or-treating in your neighborhood and going around and collecting candy from your neighbors. No one really knows exactly when that practice fully got fleshed out and nailed down and like officially kind of became a thing. But we do know, um, I mean... Charles Schultz and his famous comic Peanuts uh, with Charlie Brown, he references it as early as 1951 to where, I mean, it was popular enough and well-known enough for him to include it in that syndicated comic strip to say this is a thing to where everyone would see that and know what was being referenced. So you have this practice of community trick-or-treating being established really in the 19, as early as 1950s. So we can be- say probably with safety within the last hundred years, if not more, trick-or-treating has been already an established norm, at least right. in the United States. To the, to the, to, from today's date, yeah, you can definitely say easily, within the last hundred years, the idea of a kid-centered, kid-friendly celebration of Halloween was the bulk of the focus for, within the last hundred years. Okay. Now, I would say within my lifetime, that shift uh, began to happen. I would argue probably a little bit earlier than that, to where with the idea of especially in the 60s, 70s, and 80s where you had the sexual revolution, you had a lot of that to where there's a lot of that just rebellion against the establishment and just kind of like... Stick it to the man. And and specifically taking the effort to where when you look at even the films of that time with the idea of gratuitous sex, gratuitous violence, and... When and and the idea of that becoming the culture, of course, that's going to affect your celebrations. That's going to affect Halloween with the idea of bringing okay. in the sexual element, bringing in the violence part to where with the idea of gratuitous horror films um, to where, again, remember for a long time, that wasn't really a thing. The idea of portraying gore and violence on screen or on public display wasn't really feasible or doable. I mean, if you wanted, I mean, they would certainly try in some aspects with certain plays, but they were very limited by their effects and what they were capable of doing. 
And so yeah, we could see the persona of just about every black and white film, and it, there's there's nothing like that there at all. Uh, it's yeah. always about the content, the conversations, the drama, the relationships, Absolutely. what's going on. It's never and, about and and even that. the whole and and even the horror of that time, and, or or even where it is there, it's always left to the imagination. Like it's specifically like, like they'll they'll tread right up to the line. They'll speak in innuendo. They'll mm-hmm. especially like if you ever watch the comedy like the Marx Brothers or something like that. To where if you to where I like I remember watching it with my kids and those jokes would all go right over my head. And I yeah. remember watching it again as an adult. I'm like, oh my goodness, my parents let me watch this. Yeah. Uh, because as a kid, you don't even think about it. You exactly. don't you, you don't even realize what they're referencing. You have no idea. Sometimes I'll turn something on. And my kid will not know what just got said, and I hear it. I'm like, oh, turn that off. That's no good. And my wife will sometimes be like, what? I'm like, not even going to explain it. We're just not watching that. Like, it's bad. So right. it and happens. So, and so sometimes, there, and there is, a, there, there is some leeway on that with the, I guess, with the idea. But there's just like, but the idea of to where for a long time there was the innuendo, it was alluded to, but it was just kind of like it wasn't publicly on display. It was still shameful. On, in, in public, yeah, yeah there's still it's like, a shame hey, you, to it. You, you keep you, 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 yeah. whatever you do, you keep it in the bedroom. We'll kind of, exactly. well, it, it's kind of like the wink, wink, nod, nod. We know what we're talking about because we're adults, yeah. but you know the kids don't need to know. Just like what, uh, as, as far as I understand, I, I'm not sure how far, but it's technically supposed to be recent that beds were shared by husband and wife. It used to be two separate beds, absolutely, and fi- even film. in oh, film. oh 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 yeah oh, oh yeah, and so. Well, as far as like to me, that's odd because I never grew up with that. But looking back now in the past, as far as like an actual like, practice, I, yeah, I mean, I was surprised to find it, out. It depended on the household. Wives used to sleep in separate beds in the same room, even on TV shows. You'll see well, on husband and wife getting on TV in shows beds. absolutely because that had to do with the display of essentially sexuality, where that was like, hey, we don't want to. Yeah, I only found out yeah. about that recently, and I was but kind as of far blown as, away. But as far as an actual practice, whether or not people would actually sleep in separate beds, as far as in real life. That depended a lot of times on their financial situation, on their work situation and okay. stuff like that. That would be – I personally am not aware of any real phenomenon where that was historically like the norm for for adults to sleep in separate beds normally mm-hmm. as long as they're married. Uh, I know sometimes with – I know like Tolkien sometimes did it because of the fact that he would often be up long hours into the night. And in his study, grading papers and writing and whatever else like that. So I know he had a separate bed that he could use in the case that if he didn't want to disturb his wife and whatnot. But well, there's even references in in the old uh, Old Testament accounts of kings having to summon their queens out of their own oh, chambers. Yeah. So it's like that's not even separate beds. That's just entirely separate oh, yeah. areas of the kingdom. That to me itself was kind of odd. I was like. Why is this king <laughs> not in the same room even with his queen? And it's just like it seems like there might have been that distance oh, yeah. in many places. I was just, oh, yeah. which is interesting. But yeah, that's that's a whole other culture and a whole other yeah. can of worms. But now we're getting a little bit off track and <laughs> all kinds of stuff. But yeah, so you have this evolution of Halloween where it is, it has definitely had a progression. It certainly you can say it has those roots in the paganism and the idea of the superstition and the. Uh, fortune telling and demonic elements of yeah. it are certainly historically valid. Like those ties certainly are there. And then especially when you get introduced in the 60s, 70s and 80s with a lot of that revolution and the uh, elevation of the horror genre 
And now the capacity and the saturation and especially the fascination that our current society has with the supernatural and the paranormal and so on to where those elements are celebrated and recognized and brought into the Halloween celebration to some degree. um, There is certainly a conversation to be had here. Absolutely. Uh, and I wish I wish it would be a conversation among a lot of believers instead of just this flat out kind of blanket statement, uh, which I see a lot happening, which is why yeah. I thought this was actually an important thing, because I see a lot of people that I love and care about. And I know they're Christians. I, I know by my by their own lifestyle, by their own expression and by my own their own testimony and the way I see them live and how they approach God and his truths. And yet a lot of the people even from uh my previous church, I mean, there's this legalistic perspective saying if you dare even in any way participate or should approve of any sort, even the most childish, most family-friendly version of Halloween, even if so much as maybe even getting candy, it's a straight denial of their Christianity. It's saying, you know, you are not a Christian. You are either a backslider or you're in sin. That perspective is very very antagonistic to the Christian faith, as far as I can see, biblically speaking. And it's very divisive for wrong reasons. That's why this conversation is so important, because I see people actually being dismissed from the faith by other people, saying, you're not in the faith. Look at you. How could you? How could you do that? And I think that's a big problem. Yeah, absolutely. And that is something that I I, I certainly do agree with you on, the idea of being able to have a conversation around these issues. And a lot of it, a lot of times the conversation exists simply in the idea of, well, this is what we've always done. Um, And there's the idea of, in many people's minds, our baseline operation, our baseline assumption is that if it's not broke, don't fix it. Mm -hmm. You have one person says, bless God, I've never celebrated Halloween. This is what we do. This is what we've always done. We never celebrate Halloween. And if you do, then, well, you're wrong. I mean, that's just like, that's just the, a baseline assumption that just says, well, this is what we've always done and nothing bad has ever happened to us because we never celebrated Halloween. So of course we're absolutely right. And so that's our baseline assumption. And then you have the other side that says, well, I've always celebrated Halloween. I've never had anything bad happen. I've never had, I've never been possessed by demons or anything like that. And mm-hmm. we've just always been fine with our celebration of Halloween. So of course, just why wouldn't we just keep on celebrating Halloween? And you have these two sides that are, that a lot of times are just, they have their own basic set of assumptions, and there's oftentimes this, again, another layer of assumption that says that if you do differently, then you must think I'm wrong. Okay. To where even if you have, even if we assume for our sake of argument, if you have two Christians that are completely of goodwill, that have a fully informed opinion, and have exercised their Christian liberty, the one to celebrate and the other to not celebrate— you still run the risk a lot of times to where there's an assumption that if the one who doesn't celebrate sees the one celebrating, they're going to assume, well, they must think I'm some stick-in-the-mud legalist or whatever, Mm -hmm. and I have to rebuke them. I have to make sure they understand that I'm not. And the person who does celebrate sees them not celebrating. They immediately become defensive and say, well, they must think that I'm some demon-worshipping whatever, and I have to make sure I justify my actions yeah, and there's there's that there's that assumption, there's that jump to a conclusion to say that well, there's an assumption on both sides that often takes place that creates that conflict that creates yeah. uh, a breakdown and division within Christianity that is just like look let's let's 
let's open some dialogue here, all right? Let's have a conversation about this because that's ultimately how we are supposed to communicate. Um, and this is really where we come back to this question, ultimately, as, as you already began at the beginning of this po- podcast with the question of Christian liberty, does this apply in this area? And does it does it fall under the purview of what Scripture describes as liberty? And if I could, I just want to read a little bit from Romans fourteen, just to kind of establish. I was waiting for you to get into that. Oh yeah, <laughs> because this is kind of the primary passage that people will come to when it comes to the idea of liberty and issues that can be divisive. And unfortunately, we tend to relegate it to secondary issues like music or preferences and mm-hmm. things like that. And that's how we usually tend to think about it. But as we'll see here, I think this is also meant for some of the bigger fish, too, not just the little minnows. Yeah. Well, I mean, it speaks about conscience in general. And you're going to have, unless you got your head out of the game, you're going to have your conscience involved in everything you do. So this this should speak to the whole Christian life in, in many various aspects. Absolutely. And so Romans 14, verse 1 reads, Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things. Another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth, yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. And so there's certainly a lot more that we could... Yeah read through as, I mean, it's all, it's all good, absolutely. But I think those pass, that passage in particular is, I think, are most relevant to what we are discussing here. And I think it's important to, first of all, highlight the significance of the issue that is being discussed here with the idea of eating all things and not to where the practice that Paul is specifically alluding to here is meat being offered to idols. Yeah. To where... This is not just a question of veganism or uh, omnivore, like the, the idea of just those who eat, f- eat meat or don't eat meat, to where there was a genuine contention within the church over meat that was offered to idols. And if you look back in the book of Acts, if this is actually one of the issues that the Jerusalem Council specifically uh, addressed, where they said that they, they would address the Gentiles to refrain from blood and from meat that was offered to idols. And so there had already sexual immorality. So those are three main things that the Jews wanted in order to feel in their conscience free to say, "Okay, Gentiles, you too." I mean, 
Exactly. To where like it's so like those the, are cultural things. Those are important cultural things. Minus the sexual morality. That's right, that's right. all across. That's a moral commandment <laughs> that gets sure. reiterated and yeah. reupheld. Absolutely. Let it not yeah. be once be named among you as yeah. become a saint, says absolutely. Paul would later say. Uh, but absolutely. But the idea that says that to where as the Jerusalem Council meets around this issue of Gentiles being brought into the church and whether or not they would have to observe the law or not. And the consensus that they came to, even with Paul being there and being a part of that discussion, uh, they said one of the things that they said that they laid out there as like, hey, we think this is good advice for Gentiles to not eat meat that's been offered to idols. And now Paul is coming alongside later in inspired scripture to say by commandment saying he that eateth. Eat it to the Lord, and he that eateth not, eateth not to the Lord. Toward this is not just some preference of, well, I like contemporary music and I like traditional music. This is a real moral thing that, to where, especially to the Jewish mind, would be enough to, hey, they're violating the terms of what the Jew- Jerusalem Council laid out. The apostles said this is what they said we should do, and to where in their minds this is like this is a heavy, heavy burden of that's worth addressing and even worthy of church discipline to bring on someone. And so this isn't just just some side preferential issue. This is a heavy issue that someone would say, as you mentioned, that idea of the issue of conscience. Um, And so to where he that eateth not here, to like the idea of eating not, he is doing so because to him it is sin to, to partake. To him it is not just a matter of I prefer not to eat. To him, it would be a moral failing, a sin, a transgression for him to partake in that. And so when we talk about something like Halloween, I think it is wise for us to bear in mind that to that even to those who take the position that, hey, I can celebrate Halloween without conscience, uh, as Paul here says, despise not him that eateth not. To where it is very easy for us to look at someone who does not hold to the same view we do and say, well, they just don't know what they're talking about and we despise them. We think less of them to where like they don't know what they're talking about because I can do this. I have the right. I have the liberty and whatever else. You may be absolutely correct and true, but you're just as wrong as they are in that moment to where you have no right to rub it in their face. You have no right to do that. You have the commandment to despise them, not to think no less of them, to recognize saying, hey, to them, for whatever reason, for them to partake in this to them in their mind would be a sin, a transgression to their mind. It's not just a preference. This is something that they, they choose to refrain from because of their convictions based on Scripture. And they and those who choose to exercise that liberty to partake have the responsibility to not despise those that don't, or not to intentionally bring stumbling to those that they know are stumbled by it. I mean, we right. have we have other areas. Uh, even Colossians chapter two verse sixteen says, "Therefore, therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink, or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day." Verse 17, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And it goes into more detail, but that also touches on some of the same things that Romans 14 covers. It it speaks about days, it speaks about diet, it speaks about uh, conscience issues, and saying, you know, don't let somebody judge you because you do or don't esteem a certain day. Now, when we consider this, we we also have to understand that this is speaking about something that is so big. We're, We're talking about Sabbath celebration, 
And even that is now fulfilled in Christ because the Sabbath was the rest. And Christ says, come to me, you will find your rest. We find our ultimate rest in Christ. We are no longer working to, to get somewhere. It's been done for us. So our ultimate rest is found in Christ. So our Sabbath is in him. He is our Sabbath. He is our rest. That's why the Hebrews were told, you know, press on to enter that rest. Press on all the way. Don't, don't let there be anything hindering you from obeying in the areas you could because you look like people that might not be pressing all the way on into Christ faithfully. Hebrews 6 mm-hmm. talks about true believers needing to act like it because they're looking like they're not believers since they're not acting on a lot of the convictions they should have through Scripture. A lot of people use that wrongly, saying, look, true believers can lose their salvation. It's like, no, that's... Hebrews 6 talks about true believers acting their part because they've been saved so they don't look and behave like those that don't come into that rest. It's saying, enter that rest. If we're talking about holidays, they're so much less significant than the command of Sabbath observance. I mean, that's... That's that's one of the Ten Commands, and mm-hmm. we're either thinking that a Halloween celebration or a Christmas celebration is more important to argue about than the actual command of Sabbath observance. So we have to be able to articulate this, and Romans 14 and Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, it speaks about the fact that these holidays uh, and these even observances of special days, these have been fulfilled in Christ, not not Halloween. I'm saying oh, yeah. these 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 ceremonies, all these Hebraic ceremonies, all these things from the Old Testament covenant and the ceremonial system, that has all been fully completed and accomplished in Christ. And we can now know that he's fulfilled those things for us. So we are not commanded to observe the Sabbath as the Jews were. It has been observed fully for us. The Lord of the Sabbath himself is our Sabbath. And when we when we look at the fact that uh, even in, where is it, in James, uh, James chapter 4, uh, verse 17 says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Just like what you were talking about. If someone knows what they should do or how they should behave around a certain group of people, maybe certain family members, maybe certain individuals, and they don't do it just because they want to flaunt their liberty to practice something, they are sinning because they know that they should be maybe uh, restraining themselves in some of their uh, freedoms and practices around certain people, around individuals, because it either makes them uncomfortable or it flat out makes them tempted to practice something they don't actually have the freedom to practice. Like if somebody, somebody should ever think, you know, I have the right to enjoy a beer and they're around someone that has alcoholism or maybe came out of alcoholism or barely is making it. The worst thing that that person could practice is any of their freedom and liberty because now they're tempting. Now they're maybe bringing thoughts and memories into that person's mind. They are not being a friend. They're being an enemy. If we have a freedom to go to a movie and we know that this brother just does not feel like movie theaters are, are allowed, don't invite him or maybe don't even talk to him about the movie experience you had because you might just be making him uncomfortable in a way that you you're shouldn't. Making, you're, you're making a provision for the flesh, like as Paul even says here in, in Romans 14, to where he says, let not that your good be evil spoken of. We, we like to quote that verse in and yeah. of itself, just by itself, and it's certainly widely applicable, but this is the context that it's brought up in where he says, but if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably, destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. He said, hey, exactly. don't destroy your brother because you want to have a stake. I mean, like, is that really worth it to, to put your brother's spiritual walk in jeopardy because you want to have a steak or you want to enjoy a meal or you want to have a beer or you exactly. want to go to a theater or whatever else like that? Are those things really worth it to you to put that person's walk in jeopardy? Yes, it, it, 
I believe it's there too. The kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. Exactly. That's, that's not the, so. Christ didn't save you so that you can be as free to do whatever you want. You still have freedoms. You're a human being. You have a conscience. You have convictions. And they're going to be decorated in various forms. They should be biblically grounded, but they're going to be different. But we're never told, now that you're free from your sin, go and do what you want. That's not the Christian command. The Christian command is now die to yourself in every and any way that you can and grow in that relationship. Because as you do, you'll learn that it is better to hold back and honor someone else than to just flaunt what you got and tell them to deal with it. That's a yeah. terrible attitude to have with someone. Okay. And sometimes we can do that by mistake, and that's a very different thing. If someone thinks that they can uh, go somewhere or, or practice something and someone else comes up and says, hey, man, I'm really uncomfortable, then, then yeah. repent. You didn't yeah. do show, it intentionally. Yeah. You didn't do it knowingly. You just show the respect and just yeah. be like, hey, hey, man, I'm brother. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to... Cause offense, yeah. And so, at, if you want to have the conversation, you can. But absolutely, just like hey, look, I meant, meant no offense. Just, I love how I don't know who was. Uh, I think it might have been MacArthur, but he was saying something along the lines of, I don't know if it was him, but he was describing Romans fourteen about the freedom, Christian freedom, Christian liberty, and he was saying, you know, it's as if Paul was Paul was basically saying, when I'm in front of Jews, I hide my ham sandwich behind my back. Like it's, it's like he knows he's allowed to have certain things, but he doesn't boast it and brag it in front of those that might truly be stumbled by it. Absolutely. He doesn't try to make them necessarily believe that and they it, need to practice it, but he just, he, he, it's between him and God. That's why that's it's such an important thing. If you have your freedom, good. Keep it between you and God. There's some things we should never even talk about. Why? It doesn't mean you're not allowed to do it or just don't let that be what you're boasting about, my liberty. Boast about the fact that you've been set free because of the blood of Jesus Christ for his glory, and you want other people to have that right salvation with Christ too. Boast about the thing that actually gets them saved, not the thing that might keep them from it if they're busy trying to practice all that they would ever want. Because mm -hmm. this, this is not a come do everything you want salvation call. This is a Absolutely. come die to your sins. Absolutely. And then you'll see what convictions because, God because, gives because you. Because even if you with. don't have a personal conviction about Halloween against Halloween, you may be placed into a culture or in a place where that may become an issue. Absolutely. And if you're hung up on your liberty of I want to do what I want to do, then and this is where it's like it comes back to the idea of like in establishing what Halloween is, the important thing that it recognizes is that when you look at that cultural evolution, you look at that cultural history of it, how many people do you think are anywhere remotely aware about any of that? Some are completely oblivious to it. I would say the majority are. Yeah. The majority. I mean, when people even say it, some people are like, what are you talking about? I'm like, right. exactly. It, it, no one it, even looks into you it. Even, if you had so in or even wrote it out or whatever, if, if you found like the one Wiccan in yeah. your community, you might get a response. Yeah. But if you went into your average school or whatever like that to where like you got a Halloween party going on and if you like called everyone's attention out of two, 3,000 people there, say, excuse me, excuse me, how are you all doing enjoying your celebration of so in? Or if you wanted to just butcher it and say it American wise, Sam, Sam Hain. Yeah. Um, they would all look at you like, what are you nuts? We're, we're, we're yeah. celebrating Halloween. We're not celebrating Sam Hain or soul, whatever you, whatever it is you're talking about. No one knows that yeah. history. No one knows that connection and nobody looks at it that way. I mean, yes, again, you have a very small and I would argue probably somewhat growing, a uh, population of Wiccans and occultists that are starting to make their voices heard in society, but there's still a very small percentage in most com in the majority of communities, and so the idea that says that uh, when you look at Halloween, I think the reasonable person has to examine it 
They're like, look, yes, we can recognize and realize the reality of where it comes from, and it certainly is worth discussing and evaluating, but you also have to kind of consider it in light of what it is currently understood to be. And in light of its current understanding, it is primarily simply an excuse to dress in costumes, get some candy, and watch terrible movies. <laughs> okay, not all terrible. Some of them are halfway decent or whatever. But for the most part, for the most part, as far as what it goes, is I mean, Marathons that is some reruns. And so that, like, like, that's, I mean, ex- except for It's a Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, that's the one. That's the classic <laughs> that I, I love every year. But uh but otherwise the idea but that's generally speaking what people see as halloween and and unfortunate and so the idea of the cultural connotation behind it to where it is not seen as this celebration of the dead for the most part it is not seen as an opportunity to talk to ghosts or to spirits are there super are there superstitious elements absolutely just like we tell our you know just like as a kid don't step on a crack you break your mom's back don't walk under a ladder don't break a mirror yeah. i mean those superstitious elements they are baked into our culture at a basic level should they be weeded out probably yes absolutely they can be addressed and dealt with and everything else but they're no like i say they're no different than those little superstitions that throwing a pinch of salt over your shoulder while you're baking or something like that all kinds of little things that we pick up from our parents and from our culture without ever even thinking about yeah. it in our in our culture uh russians are taught or raised by other russians of course <laughs> to uh, to sit down right near usually near the exit of the house sit down for maybe 1 to 3 seconds right before they leave the house, whenever they're going on a trip or something like that, they'll sit down and they'll just kind of sit in silence and look at each other for just a moment. And then they'll get up and it's just, it's like you sit before you leave. And it's, it's this superstition that, that, that makes things well. And even when, when I'm with my parents, I mean, I don't have any superstitious practices. Um, I don't believe in any superstitions, but just with them, like they'll still sit down. I'm just, I'm sitting there with them. and I'm just like, it's just, it's just what's done. The tour, yeah, like, it's just what's done. I don't have the belief behind even it. Even if you don't believe anything yeah. it will actually happen, it's just kind of like this is... This and I'll just I'll sit do. with them until either Christ roots that out and they just stop doing it, but they're just going to look like weird Russians because as far as I know, every <laughs> Russian that I know does that I've never in heard every that household. They just, they're, when they're about to leave, they just sit down. They say, hey, let's sit down real quick, look at each other. All right, and they get up and go. There's no prayer. There's nothing, but there's some sort of belief there that you know, this love, is the I, way to I, kind I of get ready for that a now trip. Figure yeah. where that came from, but yeah. So it's like, what what yeah. I um, what I did want to, I think something I was considering in my in my in my mind while you were speaking was, it's it's as if sometimes people believe that just practicing some things that m- may relate in some way to a to a spiritual practice, something of like that nature it's as if you can accidentally fall into it. So there might be this kind of fear, like, you know, I don't even want to trick-or-treat because then, you know, I might I might end up following demons. And the same belief kind of ignorantly sometimes is believed by people that just come to church. Like, you know, I'm just going to come to church and God's going to be with me because I'm coming to church. They don't actually mm-hmm. confess Christ or believe the gospel. They're like, you know, coming to church after having a bad week, that's where my solutions will be. And you might actually come to a saving faith in Christ if the message is clearly preached and God's Holy Spirit works in your heart that way and you're convicted or convinced and humbled. Praise God for that. But it's not so much like, you know, I'm there and I'm going to become it or I I have something that seems to relate to it and it's automatically all going to 
fall on right. me. We don't have that belief about school either. I mean, homeschooling is great. I love the idea of it, but I can't put a burden on my wife that she's not willing to carry. So I'm okay. Right. If she yeah. can't handle that right now, I'm like, that's fine. My kids are in public school. I'm happy with them being there. Why? Because I've seen tons of ministry in my life in my six years, so for six or seven years of education, there's always been opportunities to minister. I've met tons of people. I've built incredible relationships, and God has even saved some of their souls by His grace and me being involved in some ways. Just a wonder to see that. People that mm-hmm. I would not have met, people that I would not have connected to because I was busy at home. But that's fine. If it's homeschooling, great. Protect your children from all the wrong teachings about sensuality, sexuality, freedoms, atheism, all those things. But we send our kids to school all the time, and they are taught a basic atheistic model. They are taught evolution. They are taught that religion and spirituality is just a personal practice that doesn't actually extend anything past that. They are literally taught a basic model of atheism in all their years of public education. That is just the case. But we don't fear that when we send our kids to school, just because they're there, they're automatically going to inherit all this stuff. We have this confidence that, you know, they can partake in some things and still remain unharmed. But for some reason, we revert that and say, but if they even trick-or-treat, they're automatically going to become Satanists. It's like, if we don't have a fear of them falling into immediate atheism in school participation, why do we have this fear that they will automatically become the worst and the most... You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And it, it is one of those things that is worthy of discussion as far as it goes, because ignorance is certainly a danger in any situation with the idea of if you're sending your kids to public school and not asking them, what are you learning about in school today, Susie? What are you teaching them rightly? Right. And you're not taking that to where there's something that there's that idea to where if you are an informed and active parent, absolutely with that idea. But if you're just saying, Hey, I'm going to send my kid to public school because it's the easy option. I can just ship them off and send Mm -hmm. them off and not worry about it. Okay. There's danger there because that is what they're going to be taught. They are going to be, uh, what was it? Who was it? I remember reading a quote. I think it was a Paul Washer quote with the idea of, you know, sending them to Rome and then being surprised when they come home acting like Romans, something uh, along those that lines. That might have probably been Vody Bakum. He's, oh, very, he's very anti-public school. Yeah, so I, 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 <laughs> like I could not remember the quote. Like against yeah. it. And it's, like, and it's just like, and so it's like, and so absolutely with the uninformed, uninvolved parent, there is danger with that yeah. idea. And, and even when it comes to Halloween, the idea of, Ignorance ignorance is not bliss in any situation with the idea of like, I'm completely uninformed about any kind of connection with Halloween and I'm just going to go on my way blissfully ignorant. No, that's not healthy either. And the idea of being aware to say, you know what, these are certain elements that we can participate in and being aware to be observant to say, okay, we're going to avoid these ones. Um, I think that is certainly wise and using good discretion. As the book of Proverbs says, the wise man foreseeeth the evil and hideth himself. Yeah. Uh, there is certain, certainly the idea. And what I wanted to circle back to with the idea of Halloween to where its inherent value is not precise. You have very different perceptions based on where you're at, based on your community, based on your experience mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And so... If we're going to make an assessment on whether or not I personally should celebrate Halloween, there have to be other principles involved. And even when it comes to determining Christian liberty, the idea of only using Christian liberty to say, because I have liberty to do this, I'm going to, or I have liberty not to, like if that is your sole basis for deciding to do something or not to do something, I believe that is a very uh, tenuous position Mm -hmm. uh, at best. And so I would argue, I would advise to where there are other principles to 
bring into play, such as the idea of context in your stage of life. For example, if you're a college student, I can think of no reasonable and safe and healthy way for you to observe Halloween. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would be happy to be proven wrong, but any time, any Halloween celebration that I know of that involves college age young people, it is simply an excuse for drunken mm-hmm. and promiscuous celebrations. And if you are a saved young person, whether young man, young lady, or whatever else like that, um, you know your door, your your roommate or whatever comes in saying, "Hey, we got a Halloween party coming up," or whatever else like yeah. that. I mean, like. I cannot think of a to where even if you have no conviction against Halloween in and of itself, there are other convictions that get brought into play there, such as your convictions on alcohol and promiscuity Mm -hmm. that have to be brought into play to where the I and that you have to recognize that even though Halloween itself or dressing up in a costume in and of itself might not be an issue for you personally, uh, the issue of going to a place where you know there's going to be promiscuity and alcohol and stuff like that. Okay. You got to evaluate that to where can I in good faith and in good conscience go to the Halloween party has nothing to do with Halloween has to do with the fact that, Hey, I'm a Christian and I'm called to be live a different separate life and not to be drunk with wine. And I'm not to uh, make provision for the flesh. And so I'm sorry, I can't go to the party. To where that idea of the because of how that party is being handled exactly. To where there, has, I mean, it, there are some that could be like look it's if rare. you find, if, yeah, you, if you, you find the one random unicorn <laughs> situation where like hey we're just a couple of college kids that want to drink apple cider and yeah. pumpkin juice. Okay, cool. I mean, have fun. Go and uh, as far as I'm concerned, if like if you found that one random situation where there's no alcohol involved, no promiscuity involved, I mean, by all means, have fun or whatever else mm-hmm. like that. But at that point, it's just like you know. Uh, but again, that but those but that's where I say it's not so much about the Halloween; it's about the other principles involved. Yeah. As far as the idea of alcohol and promiscuity, and I think the same as elements come in whether you're taking your kids trick or treating like for example this year it falls on a sunday yeah. am i going to am, am i going to skip church so i can take my kid trick or treating well, I mean, right. if you do, I'll see, and I'll, I'll have a talk <laughs> with you after that. <laughs> Just uh, see pastor announcing, uh, Brother Nathan's not going to be here today. He's actually <laughs> trick-or-treating. I'd be like, uh, bro, it's 10.30 a.m. What are you doing? The, I mean, you I need mean, service. And so, and so like, that, and so like, and so like with it falling on Sunday, that is a question. I mean, like, I know there are some people that would be a legitimate question. Oh, some question. people won't go to the I evening, mean, evening service, maybe. Oh, yeah, so. yeah, like yeah. the evening service, more... Not, not, I can't imagine anyone going trick or treating in the morning, but in the evening service, more of what there I'm referencing. There are strange people out there. I know. Well, I mean, even Super Bowl Sunday, church ah, attendance yeah. takes a dive because heaven forbid that we not see our favorite sports ball team, yeah. you know, win the trophy thingamajig. Yeah. It, I, I, I jest a little bit, but. Uh, Idolatry at its best on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, it but, happens. But, but again, that's why I say you, you want to bring in other principles because as Paul concludes the chapter, in Romans 14, verse 23, he says, He that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Look, simply put... If, and and uh, we, we just have to <laughs> clarify, that doesn't mean a Christian is damned. If, right, if no, 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 not, not eternally damned. This, but This uh, is talking about in that conviction, in that moment, they they will sense and have a... A damned oh, stance. Oh, a con- a convic- you, a convic- they have a, a damned, conviction. They have a conviction of it, it, it evil. They be, have done it, wrong. Right, they have yeah. sinned. This, yeah. 
this cannot be used by anyone yeah, saying, yeah, hey, no, look, the well, Christian well, is it, damned it, once they sin. It's like, <laughs> our sins fell on Christ, and anyone yeah. that doesn't have sin is a liar, says First John. Yeah. So every Christian sins, stumbles. Yeah. So this is not yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, no, this is not <laughs> Just have to clarify, because uh, uh, I know someone's going to look at that and say, oh, <laughs> you lost your salvation. <laughs> one sin and you're damned. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 it, yeah, absolutely. It's refer- referencing just simply you had a moral, fa- it's, it's a sin, a transgression yeah. of the law. And, and so... I would argue to the person, like, look, if you have a, this is where a lot of times uh, it's one of those cliche phrases that I've heard in college where if it's doubtful, it's dirty. And that idea of if you are not convinced, if you are not secure in what you believe to be true of God and of his word, then stay away. If you are doubtful to where like, eh, I don't know if I should be celebrating Halloween, but, you know, I don't want to disappoint my kids and, you know, I want yeah. them to be able to have fun. And so, look, if you are doubtful about it, if you're on the fence, take the time to do your research, do your reading, pray, seek the Holy Spirit's guidance and ask God what is the right decision for your family. Yeah, because it, be, it could be different. Ab- it could absolutely be different. Absolutely. God, to where God if, allows people... If, for some reason, to have different convictions, and they're totally free. Absolutely. You are free to not observe to where, like, especially if you're in an area, for whatever reason, that has a very heavy occult or pagan influence, if there's a lot of people there that hold to that or whatever else, or supernaturalism and stuff like that, if you're in an area where that is a big deal, where the celebration of Halloween really emphasizes on the supernatural and the paranormal and stuff like that, then absolutely, I can completely understand why someone would say, you know what, for my family, I don't think this is a good and healthy spiritually thing for us to do and to take part in. I can absolutely respect that. And I can absolutely say, you know what, I completely respect and I'm 100% on board. Protect your family and do what's right according to the word of God for you and for your family yeah. to where if you're in that position where that's the understanding and the observation and what the context that you're in is, absolutely. I would, I would agree that most likely, I'll just say most likely in Sedona, Arizona, uh, you may have the over spiritualized and new age mysticism involved in on Halloween day, because mm-hmm. that is a place every time me and my wife visit, there's psychic shop galore, there's crystals, there's yoga places, there's uh, all the transcendental meditation practices. I mean, that's everywhere. You got, you got yeah. psychics everywhere. It's, it is filled in that entire community all over the place. So I know that that's something we would expect to see is the spiritual practice of Halloween behind all of that because it is already there on a regular basis. All of the psychic shops, all the crystals, all of those Absolutely, all that stuff. yeah. But then when you compare that to someone who lives in just, you know, apple pie neighborhood, you know, and lives just like, you know, all the neighbors are just like, well, it's an excuse to give out candy yeah. and, you know, do spooky decorations because that's just what we do. Yeah. I mean, if that's your that's your culture, that's where you're at as far as your culture and you pray and seek the Lord and you just say, you know what? I don't see any reason why our kids can't take pl- take part in a measured wise way. For example, growing up, uh, you know, my mom let us go trick or treating, but there were some rules and there were some guidelines to where even in the costumes that we chose, it was yeah. specifically always things that were not you know, ghoulish yeah. or supernatural in nature to where I remember I remember when you're like going as a cowboy or as a soldier or different things like that. And so like um, toward my parents, they took some steps to say like, you know what, we'll take part, but only so far. 
And we didn't really do haunted houses. We didn't do any of that stuff just because that was, for one, that was, I wasn't very good with them anyway. Uh, but <laughs> I was, I am not ashamed to admit as a kid, I was a scaredy cat and still am to a little degree. But, uh, but at the same time, there was also that aspect that my parents, my mom just was like, you know what? We don't need that. We don't need to mess with that. That's just something that we don't need to mess with. Mm-hmm. And that's just partly because of her upbringing, where she came from, background and stuff like that, her experiences. And because there really is, I mean, like I say, ignorance is not bliss to where when we overindulge in certain kinds of movies and stuff like that, it certainly can invite things in. It certainly can provide opportunity to where, you know, I don't believe from what I understand of scripture that a Christian can ever be possessed, but there can certainly be opportunity for oppression and where doors can be open to where when I'm entertaining those kinds of, when I'm entertaining those thoughts and dwelling on those subjects and on those things, that's why the fascination with the occult and stuff like that is very dangerous for a Christian that even if... Even when you research it. Right, even to where like the idea of like, well, I'm just studying to understand or to know and be aware, yeah. like you, you have to be very careful and be very wary of that situation to make sure you are walking with God, that you're prayed up full of the Holy Ghost, because that provides opportunity many, many times to where Satan doesn't like that. He's going to take any advantage that he can to have any kind of open door mm-hmm. to exert influence. So certainly being wise in our entertainment, and if you choose to participate, to be wise in how you do so, is certainly absolutely necessary but again i come back to that simple point of hey be convinced in your own mind let every man be convinced in his own mind to where that idea of like look if you are convinced that you should participate and you have that liberty and freedom to do so hey from based on the authority of god's word from romans 14 and colossians 2 that idea of christian liberty that you are free to observe so long as Again, other principles are being met and you're not violating some other aspect of scripture. By all means, you have that liberty to do so. And, and it's got to be but, more than just uh, how you feel. I mean, this, this, we're, not, we're not following our heart in this. We're following the Spirit of God in this. And that's, that's yeah. an important thing to consider. Like we, Absolutely. We don't just view something saying, you know, I feel okay about this. So, well, are your feelings led by the Word of God? Because if not, they're going to be led by your own carnal pleasures and desires and we can deceive ourselves into convincing ourselves like something's fine, and later on we end up repenting of it. I mean, I think every Christian should just consider that whenever they make decisions, thinking, you know, how many times have I apologized for something I felt totally okay to do at one point, and later on was convinced by God's Spirit, by His Word, by my circumstances, by His providence, like, that was wrong. And we end up apologizing. How many things should we and could we regularly apologize for as confession throughout the day when we were totally convinced that it were okay at the moment that we performed them. A Christian should have a regular repentant relationship with God. There should always be that, I I sinned here. I looked, I imagined, I did, I said, I acted. There's so many things we should regularly be saying, God, I I recognize my my weakness and my own arrogance in those areas, and I I still persevere to try to do that, and I, I know it was wrong. There was me convincing myself it was right. So when we when we make a decision, it shouldn't just be, you know, I feel okay about it, it's fine. It's like, well, just make sure that this isn't something you're going to repent of later. Make sure that you're really, like you said, prayed up, filled with the Holy Ghost. That doesn't mean that you get more filled, <laughs> because I right, come no. from a background in, in, where you get, yeah. When I say filled with the Holy Ghost, I'm not talking about like, as far as like, you you have a Holy Ghost meter inside yeah, exactly. you. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Just like, uh, just the like. I, the idea of under the influence, exactly. the idea of like, like to where it's totally yielded to the Holy Spirit's control to where like, I'm not. 
Yeah. Just, the, just like the uh, idea of justification uh, is filled so, fill with yeah. the spirit of God and filled with the let the word of God dwell richly in you and uh, be be filled with the Holy Spirit. Those two uh, references are used in the same in two different books in the same way. So you can say, you know, when I am truly filled with the Holy Spirit, it means I am abiding in the Word of God. I am truly aligning to God's Word. I am actually searching the Scriptures to make sure that I'm aligning to them correctly. So when we're saying filled with the Holy Ghost, it means we're completely submissive to what God is doing and what He's explaining about Himself. Just like Peter, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he spoke and preached the first gospel uh, proclaimed after Jesus' death uh, in uh, the second chapter of the book of Acts. He wasn't more filled or less filled with the actual presence of the Holy Spirit, but he was surrendered to that work, to what he was doing, and and that's what God Mm -hmm. is doing in in people's hearts and lives. So we have to be just like Romans 14, verse um, 5. It says, each person must be fully convinced in his own mind, just like you said. Even at the end of Romans chapter 14, it says it again, like, Mm -hmm. be convinced. We have to be convinced in our own mind, not in our own carnal minds. We must be convinced as we line up and abide with Scripture. So if we have a freedom to do something, it's always multifaceted. It's more than just, I feel good, I know I can. It it always has to take the cultural context. It always has to take family context, maybe immediate circumstances, environmental aspects into mind. We we have to consider all of this. And if we truly do have a freedom, we also shouldn't be boasting about it or trying to force it upon other people. There should be this conversation because this could set a lot of people free from judgmentalism and from con- uh, from wrong condemning thoughts. I mean, imagine right, someone has a freedom because and they're told they shouldn't. They might have Holy Spirit given freedom right. and they're being convinced by others. How dare you? Right. That's messed because up. Because again, th- th- that's another thing that Paul really addresses here. Who are you that judges another man's servant? To yeah. where the recognition is that you know, I one of the teens that I talk to a lot of times to where. Uh, I, in helping him, one of the biggest things I always tell him is that, look, you are responsible for you. Mm-hmm. You're not responsible for the other person. And for some reason, a lot of times, especially in Christian circles, we take responsibility for one another. Yeah. We get responsible. I've, I've done that. And absolutely. And, and, and it, you know could ruin, it could ruin or help a relationship, yeah. how you handle it. And it's like, look, yeah, we have some obligation towards one another, like the idea of provoking one another to love and yeah. good works. And if you see a brother overtaken in a fault, restore such a one. There are certainly obligations and responsibilities that we have towards each other, but I am not responsible for anybody else to where yeah. the idea of condemning and coming down out of hand is that is like it, it conveys the idea i am responsible for making sure that you are living a right life no you're not um i'm responsible for my influence right and it, for my intentional actions but not for your actual decision made right it's yeah. like it's like it's like look you you are responsible to where like look if you believe that i'm overtaken in a fault you have a responsibility to come alongside to rest, hopefully restore me, but that's not. But the process of restoration isn't coming down with the judgment of God saying, "How dare you?" That's not yeah. the process of restoration. Uh, that's and not I've, how that I've, works. I've failed at that in my walk on several occasions, and God has brought me to understand that after consequences. Yeah. So I, I've seen the damage that that does, and that's why I want to be very it's, careful and weary of ever doing that again. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I'll be I'll be straightforward with false preachers. I'll be straightforward with false oh, gospels. But with absolutely. a brother, 
I, I have this whole new respect for the self-control I ought to have in my own explanations or my pleadings with someone to come to a more clear walk with Christ. Right. Because, uh, because, I'm not like the, because, because, because I'm not the Holy Spirit. Exactly. It's like, I'm not the Holy Spirit to where it's like, look, there is, uh, we are not responsible for, again, other churches. We are not responsible for other believers to where we are not responsible for what they do. And this is one of my real big contentions, again, with social media to where, because we have this increased awareness about yeah. what other believers are doing, what other churches are doing, what changes they're making, the practices they're using, we feel some obligation for whatever reason that says that, well, because we're not doing that, we have to justify and explain ourselves yeah. and either defend ourselves and holding ourselves up to say, well, they're compromisers, they're not really true believers, they're making their whatever or what have you, to where we feel like we have to explain and justify ourselves in comparison to this or that other group or teacher, yeah. instead of simply saying, you know what, we're going to do how the Lord leads us, to where, like, you know what, God's given us this earth circle of influence, God's given us this patch of ground to work, this area here in Yuma, Arizona, and you know what, by God's grace, we're simply going to labor here and do what God's called us to do here. And you know what? Praise the Lord. If some church over in California or in New York or in Iowa wants to do something else, hey, praise the Lord, they're preaching Christ. I think of the passage that Paul gives in Philippians where he says the one preaches Christ of sincerity, yeah. the one preaches Christ of contention, hoping to add affliction to my bonds. Yeah. But his response is simply, hey, I Christ rejoice that Christ is being preached yeah. and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. And it's like, look, I don't agree with everything the evangelicals do, but praise the Lord, they're preaching Christ. Yeah. And you know what? If I ever want to have a conversation with one of them, we ever want to sit down and have a conversation, I'm more than happy to do that. But hey, if they're if they're preaching Christ crucified to salvation, hey, you know what? They do their thing as a whole as the Holy Ghost leads them. I am not responsible for them. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to stand before God and God's not going to ask me now, Nathan, why do you think that first evangelical church did this? Yeah. Uh, he's not going to ask me that. He's going to ask me, Nathan, what did you do with the influence and the opportunities that you had as being a part of that church there in Yuma? Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm going to answer for. And for some reason, so much of this conversation really ends up being built around this false assumption that says that we are somehow responsible for one another. That if I, if I were someone that does not observe Halloween, I have some obligation to make sure that nobody else does as well. It's basic legalism. I'm, right. my, I'm imposing my convictions on you as if they must be yours, even though right here in Scripture it says there's going to be people with two different convictions, and they're both accepted. Right, and they're both accepted they're to both the Lord. Accepted. Yeah, yeah. God, God receiveth them. Who are you? Exactly. Is it? And, and that doesn't that never means sin. So we can never say like you know one person. Uh, I'll make the bold. One person says, "Hey, homosexuality is good." The other person says, "No." It's like no, that is not what we're talking about. We're right. not talking about outright uh, uh, identified sin in the Bible. Right. We're Clear. talking about. Right, to where like the idea the idea of homosexuality that is a clear moral distinction that says God made them in the beginning male and female yeah. that is reinforced again in the New Testament with God's model for marriage. And I think a lot of times young people a lot of the struggles around that are stem from a misconception on God's gift of singleness. Yeah. To where we push it so hard. I mean, I don't know if you have been around uh, you've not been to a Bible college. Um <laughs> Uh, I, I was oh, going you're, to you're, uh, I was going to the Apostolic Bible College for two oh, years, okay. on and off. So we were going through their their doctrine. 
Were you there in person or online? In person. In person? Yeah. Okay, so I don't know if they push it the same way, but I remember the one that I went to, like, it was pushed so hard. You got to be dating or getting or, or engaged or whatever. You got to make sure that when you graduate, you get married because, you know. There, there, there wasn't. If, uh, if you're, we didn't if go you're, a lot into that, but, but there is this expectation that you cannot be a pastor unless you are married. Yeah. Or because... It's as if you can't minister to someone unless you're married, and that I think yeah. that's not necessarily right because right. Paul was pretty pretty single there <laughs> and did a lot of work. And, so. and, and I know the little bit of a rabbit trail. And he spoke to married just, couples too, so we yeah. just got to look at that. Yeah, and, and, and it's just like and it's one, but that's, I know it's a little bit of a rabbit trail. But I believe that that's where like, but again, the idea of homosexuality is a clear moral command from God that says, no, yeah, this is the line. The line of the line of physical intimacy is specifically. The that of marriage that hey the marriage bed is whole undefiled, pure and undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. So, so that's not that's not one of the agree to disagree things. Yeah, that's that, that, that that's not something that is talking about. Yeah, that's not yeah. like one of those things that says like hey you know what hey praise the Lord if that's what the Lord let no that's something that we need to have a discussion on because this is pretty clearly understood and taught in Scripture. That is not a live and let live. That's uh, not a Christian within, liberty within. Yeah. yeah, that's not a Christian liberty within the church context. Exactly. I mean like. Should I be calling out every Christian on Facebook over it? Probably not, because that's it'll probably not be the, received wrong anyway. Yeah, that's not the forum for it. Yeah. But if you have a Christian brother or sister that's saying, "Hey, I think this is okay," that's where you need to sit down and say, "No, uh, no, no, it's not." Uh, but it's important to explain that feelings don't uh, trump the word and exactly. spirit of God. So we could be inclined to many things, behaviorally, emotionally, and physically, and they. They, as God command, God shows us, they all stem from a carnal, uh, sinful state, and they must be reformed as we become mm-hmm. reborn. New desires, new feelings, Good new place. affections yep. as we battle against those natural sinful temptations. So people sometimes feel very strongly in one way, but those could very well be sinful carnal passions. Oh, yeah, so absolutely. we can also... Uh, you have some person who, just so because someone is predisposed to have a bad temper or yeah. addiction to alcohol yeah. or whatever, those predispositions are no different one from the other. So, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. You, you absolutely can have someone who is predisposed to have that same attraction, but that doesn't dis- discount the truth of the Word of God. But just like, like, I say, just like heterosexual attractions. Exactly. There, there's people that want to just sleep around. It's like, it doesn't matter how much you feel it. God yeah. says you can't. Yeah, that's, and this, sin. this is the boundary. Yeah, the boundary is, is marriage, and between a man and a woman, man and, and woman. That's, that's that's the line. Don't yeah. cross it. But when we look at how, something like Halloween, there is some disagreement to where you yeah. have the one person who sees those historical connections and those connotations, and places great weight and value on them, seeing some danger and seeing some issues there for the believer. They are free to do so. Yeah. And that that they are those are perfectly legitimate concerns. They are not some oh you're just a conspiracy theory. No, yeah. no, those are legitimate, actual concerns based on the actual historical lineage of the celebration of Halloween, and so and so and so those are legitimate issues to take. But again, like when it comes to the idea of the picture that Paul paints here, there's another believer that looks at those connections and says. They're false gods. They have no effect over me. They, yeah. they, they have no hold on me. All of them, no matter how evil or wicked they are, they will ultimately bow the knee to Christ. So if I want to go out there, get some candy, pray the Lord, I'm going to go out there, get some candy. Yeah. And, and both of them stand before God to give account for those choices one way or another. Yeah. And I would argue, and I would say that that is really where it comes down to, to where, like, look, we ought not be making a pragmatic decision. We ought not be trying to make, like, an ends justify the means that, well, 
I can go trick-or-treating as long as I pass out tracks while I do so. Well, yeah. no, 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 no. Don't be pragmatic about it. Yeah. If you're going to do it, do it in the conviction that you believe it's right. And then yeah. praise the Lord if you can pass out some tracks while you do it. Hey, be a witness. Be yeah. a testimony. Absolutely. Go for it. Have fun with it. Uh, but don't 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 give me this line of nonsense that says that, well, I'm going to engage in something questionable and do something good to kind of make to up counter, for it. Yeah. No, 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 no. Look, if you're going to do it, be as the Bible says, be fully persuaded to do your research, come to a conclusion, and uh, and to rest in the security that comes from uh, having that relationship with God and being fully persuaded that based on the truths of the Word of God, I can stand in this position and say, you know what, I'm going to or not going to. Mm-hmm. And that we shouldn't be flinging mud either. I, I know a lot of times the mud tends to get flung towards those who don't celebrate. But again, this goes both ways. I have seen my share of articles, even from those who do uh, celebrate Halloween, that try to say, you should be celebrating Halloween, mm-hmm. and you ought to, and whatever yeah. else. And how dare someone tell you that you can't? Well, no, 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 no. That's not, that's not a healthy perspective either. There is, again, that legitimate conversation, that legitimate question that needs to be answered on an individual level that says that, look, based on your understanding of where you live, where you're at, and the truths of the Word of God, where does the Holy Spirit lead you to stand? And if you, the Holy Spirit leads you to stand in your liberty to say, praise the Lord, I have an opportunity here to celebrate, have some fun, and maybe be a witness while I'm at it, praise the Lord. And if you're in the position that says that, you know what, I have to refer, as by the truth of the Word of God, I have to refrain and uh, not partake of this so that I can be an effective witness and testament so they don't have a handle on me to say, well, you participated in this, and hey, then praise the Lord and refrain and don't. I mean, that's, this is really just what it boils down to, just... Yeah. Be fully uh, convinced in your own mind. I, I personally... Uh, when I wrestled through and thought through this, wondering what what is what is really going on here, I studied into the the past of it. I studied into the history of it, and I saw how it is now being handled, how it is now being celebrated predominantly, because we know that the occult is very, very undercover, shady, in the dark, mm-hmm. kind of over there in the corner. And it doesn't matter if a witch tries to cast a spell on someone. I mean, you can't cast a spell on a Christian anyway. So uh, well, I'm not concerned about everyone that tries to cast spells on people. I know that there is witchcraft that's ongoing in all sorts of days. And it seems like Halloween is the day they really take advantage of and they gather for their own things. But that's like making it seem like Sunday is a more spiritual day because Christians gather for worship. That's not the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christians may act more in their own spirituality on Sunday. They might get more energized and they might maybe witness more on Sunday than any other day. But that doesn't mean God is more present on Sundays than any other day. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't mean that witchcraft is more more active on uh, or more effective on the 31st. And like so we just lost a day to the devil. Like, no, every day has been created by the Lord. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. But one... And if all else fails, you can always celebrate Reformation Day. You can, and I, and I think that would be a wise <laughs> thing too. But uh, the way that the way that I've decided that we'll handle it this year is our children, because every school, I guess, on Halloween Day, they tell the parents like, "Hey, dress your kids up. We'll do candy, this and that." Or should you refrain? And I was wrestling with that. That's what made me come to this conclusion for this year. I'm like, you know, we're going to get little dresses for our kids. It was something we have boundaries of what we could and wouldn't. Mm-hmm. I've explained why I don't want evil to be something glorified, evil to be something celebrated. I, I, we don't want that because that's not what God glorifies. So we'll, we'll have something that's family-friendly, something that's acceptable. And 
when they go to school, they'll be able to dress in that and they'll be able to enjoy that. I'm not going to give my children any tracks to pass out because they are not able to stand on their own two feet in the faith yet. They're right. still, they're not able to argue that point. They're and even, and, 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 and even in that context as well, it's just, it would seem, it, it, it would it, seem it, like forcing the issue. Right. But myself, and I won't even let my kids pass out tracks from the house unless I'm there with them. Cause I would never want them to get a negative response from an adult or another kid and not be able to stand on their two, two right. feet. I will pass out tracks all day and I can handle any polemics, any nastiness, harshness. I can handle even confusion. So I've decided that in our home, we've decorated for the fall. My wife has done a wonderful job. I'm really grateful. And we will welcome on this year. Last year, we literally, I was so stuck because it was one of our first years after leaving our church and our church had a lot of legalism in it and they had that condemning kind of view on it. Mm -hmm. Last year was just all black and we we just, we we turn off the porch light, we turn off our light, we, we allowed everyone to know we're not welcoming them in any mm-hmm. way. And when I, I prayed and thought through it this whole year, there's often been coming up to my mind, like, why am I not welcoming people to my doorstep? And this is my personal conviction. It's like, I, I would welcome a Jehovah Witness and a Mormon to come so I could explain to them the truth of the gospel. I would explain it to anyone, people that come sell solar panels. I'm well welcoming them into our home for three hours at a time to come and sit and talk. And here I am closing the door to little children and maybe even to their parents on a day because I feel like it can't be redeemed. I personally believe this in some ways can be redeemed or it can just be accepted. And I don't need to turn everything Christian. I, I will. We will hand out good candy. We will hand out that. But I'm also going to take the opportunity as long as I'm here to actually physically pass out a Bible track or a gospel track or a church invite to the parents if they're there. Or just put it in their kids' stuff if they're the, if it's just the kids alone. Yeah. And I will personally do that because not that I want to make a reason why Halloween's acceptable. I feel it's not a big deal. But I want to add in that that gospel track personally. Not Absolutely. that I feel like that's the right way to celebrate Halloween. I'm like the right way is you're supposed to go and get candy. That's that's mm-hmm. Halloween celebration. <laughs> put on a costume, get free candy. Hopefully it's not open. Make sure nothing crazy is in the candy. <laughs> that's basic Halloween now. Basic yep. Halloween is kids go around dressed in costumes from Walmart and they get candy. Get candy, then they change costumes and go to the same houses and get double the candy. There that's, you go. That's yep. that's Halloween. So there's no Christian way of celebrating it, but Christians can celebrate it or just observe it and add their own flavor. And for us, we're gonna add gospel tracks and we're gonna have a welcoming attitude. We're gonna be exactly who we are. Every day, we are people that have been saved by the blood of Christ himself. If people come to our door, I don't care how you come. You're coming to my door. I'm going to let you know that I love you, I care about you, and I'm hoping for an opportunity to give a gospel track or maybe have a conversation. We'll see how God leads. Yeah. But we're not going to shut down and turn off all the lights and let them know no coming. That's. I felt wrong doing that, but I felt like that was the... I can't celebrate, and I was still kind of stuck trying to figure out how do I get out of this mind state because there's no way this seems right, and that's that's for me. But if anybody else wants to shut the door and close it, fine. My greatest concern is for Christians to think that those that don't shut their door are not Christians or are in sin, and for Christians that think they, they must open up to look at those that choose not to and to condemn them for not being Christians. I, I want to oppose right. both of those views. Absolutely. I want the welcoming of, of Paul in Romans 14. You have the freedom. You have the freedom. Choose as you will. Let your mm-hmm. mind be fully convinced and don't judge or condemn one another. Why? Because you're both accepted by God if you've believed that Jesus Christ is the only reason you're accepted by God. You're accepted through faith in his blood. So behave as God leads you by your convictions. And if for some reason you're not convinced, 
you have a Bible. It's free to get convinced. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah you can get all the apps anymore now and just absolutely. Like, so one little side note, if you're going to be a Christian that does pass out candy on Halloween, don't, 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 don't be cheap. Okay. Yeah, be generous. <laughs> give them like six pieces. Uh, so like, like don't, 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 don't give them like, don't, don't, don't be the one that goes and gets like those little strawberry things that like are in every grandmother's Grandma. purse. And so <laughs> no one knows where they buy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, they just like appear in yeah, every grandmother's be, don't purse. Don't be cheap. Give them the like, biggest get, candy bar. Let the, them remember you. So, yeah. <laughs> be a testimony. Be a witness with that. And so whether, whether even if it's just a fun size Snickers or whatever else like that, it's, it's a little tricky in Yuma because even here, well, it's starting to cool down into the 50s and 60s, I it's guess. It's going to melt anyway. <laughs> yeah, and so you just got to be careful depending on what time it is here anymore. Give them, give them frozen candy bars so they, there you, there you go. they're still in one piece by the time they get home. And so just like... That'd so be interesting. Yeah. You know, put it in the freezer, pull it out of a freezer. Here you go. Dude, that, that would probably, be, actually, be, that would probably be a bit, that would probably be a big hit around here, especially yeah. frozen Snickers. Frozen Snickers are really good. be interesting. You should, you should try it. I will try it. So, but... All right, brother. I think I think we did good on this one. Yeah. I really appreciated your insight. I really appreciated your historic approach and uh, your heart and your your spirit in this. So, yeah. any closing statement? Happy Halloween and <laughs> or and or Happy Reformation Day, <laughs> as the case may be. But either way, one of the one of the random things. Speaking of Reformation Day, my friend and I once had an idea to try to make like little theologian trading cards. There you go. There, there, that, 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 that needs to be a thing. So anybody out there who's listening and you know how to do that, we someone has to make this happen to make like theologian trading cards. Just take Pokemon cards and cover the pictures and change yeah. the powers. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, 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 who is it? Uh, is it? No, the, uh, Nicholas, you know, the Holy Punch, you know, <laughs> especially effective against Aryans. <laughs> there, <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, That's definitely something to look forward to. But no... We can, oh. It could be done. I'm there, sure. There's a Yuma version of Monopoly. Oh, absolutely. So if, oh, yeah. If, there, if you there, can do that with a, a there's gotta be something game out like there, that, like, there's, there's a way to make. I, I don't know if you can make a game. I, I don't know if you can make a game out of it. I don't know. I'm sure some, some, somebody smarter than me would have to do that. But just the idea of even they'll have like Paul Washer and it's like mic drop statements. <laughs> like that's the superpower. <laughs> Says uh, something makes so they, everyone and then, realize. And then they always have like the little italics. That's like the that's always like the you know kind of the flavor text so to speak and, yeah. and for him it's like why are you clapping i'm talking about you there you go there you go with the <laughs> with the stare of sadness like you guys aren't getting it <laughs> so there we go and then you all can right. make the holographics all the fun stuff but well happy almost halloween happy almost reformation day uh however you celebrate yeah so happy ha- have a great october great fall everybody and i hope that you uh you know, take a few minutes to be, I hope this has been hopefully informative and a blessing and encouragement to you, Where whichever side you end up falling on to where, you know, I think my bias has shown through to which side I tend to lean towards. And I know Andrew has pretty clearly said where he has decided to land, but I hope everybody who's listening does know and understand that, look, you choose not to celebrate. I just want to let you know, praise the Lord to where if that's the decision that God has led you to, if it's just because that's what you've always done, let me encourage you to take a few minutes to study for yourself and come to that decision yourself. But if that's where the Lord's God's led you, praise the Lord for you. Have a great night. Have some time with your family. Do a movie night, whatever. Game night. Have some fun, but enjoy it. Uh, just wanted to encourage if there's any question of where we uh, 
got our material biblically and where we stand on this and, and how you can maybe stand more firmly, more confidently on this topic as well as other topics, please consider reading into uh, Romans chapter 14. The entire chapter is incredibly useful and convenient. And Colossians chapter 2, you can read through that as well. Uh, even... Uh, what do we got? We got James chapter four. Mm-hmm. Read into that. There's those three those three chapters in, in general, Romans 14, Colossians chapter two, James chapter four. Very useful for considering and looking into how to approach this topic biblically and what that what that section and those sections of scripture really speak on this, because this is where our Christian convictions come from. They really don't come from the church around us because we know that people in our church even might have different convictions, mm-hmm. and that is totally fine. Uh, but we also know that Brothers in Christ are held together by Christ, and, and it's not necessarily how you practice everything around you, but it's, it's, it's who your foundation is and why your sins are forgiven and how your faith is established on, on Christ as the head. So we would just want everybody to have biblical convictions so they can actually live out their Christian faith fruitfully, faithfully, and confidently in the Lord Jesus Christ. As to the historical stuff, that's easily available. Most of my stuff I got from history.com. You don't have... It. Once upon a time, you had to go to find these niche Christian authors who yeah. would write about this stuff, but most of this stuff is now publicly and very easily accessible. A lot of my quick reference stuff I got from history.com. You can look it up, The Origin of Halloween. They'll do all that tracing as well that I just did in a little bit more detail with that tracing with the different festivals and stuff like that. So if you want to look some more into that, have fun with that as well. You can check that out online and there's plenty of resources that can help you do that as well. Amen. I appreciate you, brother. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been the Milk and Meat Podcast. Join us next time. God bless you guys. Because I'll be worried about yourself. Why you still be yelling? You got a soul. Like you need to see to believe these things. But you believe things that you've never seen. Like feelings and hopes and